Welcome to Ryan Rants and Raves, a podcast series by the Quebec government office in New York. Bienvenue à Ryan Rants and Raves, une série de podcasts par le gouvernement du Québec à New York. Today, I'm pleased to be with two of my favorite ladies who both have a vast and deep knowledge of the fashion industry. I am with Randy Packard, a former editor turned PR girl, and Mimi Lombardo, who is a creative director and a fashion editor. Thank you both again for taking the time to speak with me. I'm really pleased to, you know, speak with you both virtually. Our pleasure. How did you both get involved within the fashion industry? Mimi, well, do you go first? I, started, I did an internship at Mirabella Magazine, and um, the minute I walked in, I was just awestruck by the craziness that was going on in, in producing shoots and, and producing magazine. Um, so I, I, I was there for four months, and I met there I met Elizabeth Stewart, and uh, she's now in L.A., One, you know, everyone probably knows her, but she styles Kate Blanchett. And, and she, when she left, she um, asked me to freelance at the New York Times. She went to the New York Times and asked me to freelance. And, and then I was there for at least nine years. So um, that's my story of how I began. My story is a little different. When I graduated college, I moved to L.A. I worked at a film company, not particularly because I was interested in film, just because those are the jobs in LA entertainment and my roommate was a fashion stylist and I was like fascinated with her career and this sounds so not kind but she really didn't have very good taste and I was like <laughs> wait I could do that and that was it just put it at the back of my head and then when I moved back east to New York my last corporate job gosh what was it I think I was working in the licensing division for the NFL and left. I got fired actually. And I finding an assistant stylist job through a friend, no doubt. I lied about my experience and <laughs> because I had none. I remember being on a foot, my first photo shoot. It was like, everyone was on set. We're breaking for lunch and thinking, I remember it was a really key, it was a male model that day and I'm thinking why would I ever have a job that wasn't in fashion again this is like the most fun in the world you know and that was it I just started from there me too I I concur about the the job and it still is fun it's a privilege actually every every time I'm on a show and it shoot and it comes together and it's all working so well you're just like wow this is this is what I really wanted to do and here I'm doing it and what a privilege it is to to be you know to be on these creative teams. Yeah. Randy real quickly um is your former roommate still a stylist? I have no idea. I mean, I cannot imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt it. I have not heard her name come up. It's not like I was living with, you know, some super famous stylist now and she was like just starting out then like this was someone that decided she was going to be a stylist and I had respect for her. And, you know, I have to say, Mimi will probably concur. Back then, there weren't 8,000 stylists. Now everyone is a stylist. What would you both say are some common pain points of a stylist? I started to freelance after Travel Leisure 2016. I was freelance. So, so I, I was a fashion director at Ritz-Carlton, but the media company that handled it didn't want the clothes to come in to their office. So, so these are the basic things that when I get a job, I'm like, well, how am I going to get 
the stuff to where the location, you know, as I travel in leisure, I'm like, logistics, logistics. Yes, exactly. It. So, uh, you know, as far as when I was freelance I, and since 2016, I'll have to work out of my dining room, which becomes, you know, the, uh, the closet and, the <laughs> but that's it. Where are you going to put the stuff? How are you going to get from here to there? That's what I, and, and you know, people don't, clients don't think about that, but that's, it's picking up the stuff, it's messenger fees, shipping fees, yeah. those things have to be considered into budgets and they just don't. Right, Rand? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, um, there's budget pain, there's getting paid, chasing money down pay, it's laying money out for your clients. That's really a big drag. That happens often. And then you have to wait to get paid. And then, you know, when you're buying thousands of dollars worth of clothes and laying that money out, now that I think about it, I can't believe I ever did that. That just seems so crazy. Yeah. No, you, you, and then you, you inevitably will not get paid in 30 days. It will never happen to get paid in 30 days for, for the um, expenses you put out. So then you have credit card fees and, and uh, you know, I question, you have to really love what you're doing. I mean, you really do. And, and I do. Otherwise, I would <laughs> a sensible um, business. Well, I, I remember, um, you know, one of my former roommates used to be a stylist. And so the living room was always full of clothes, but he hated the logistics because sometimes the delivery would never come with the, with oh, the yeah. items. And then he would have to, one time he had to go to the warehouse and pick it up, you know, because, you know, the delivery company would say, oh, we tried you and no one was home. Oh, yeah. He's like waiting the whole entire day. And, you know, if you, it's, it's always, I think, a lot of times for stylists is, you know, you need the item like the day before, you know, because sometimes shootings are booked last minute. So when UPS or whatever doesn't come with the shipment, it puts you at a dire strait sometimes. So absolutely. I mean, one, one just recently, well, maybe it's just two years ago, but I was shooting Ritz Carlton and I had uh, was for their advertising. So it was an advertising shoe. So I ordered some shoes for kids online and you, now you have to, you know, those delivery fees are a different thing. Even if you order, you know, FedEx expedited, it didn't come. So, you, you know, when you get to the shoot, you, no one wants to hear your excuse. It didn't come. Yep. So I, before I got to the, before I went to the airport, I had to go to a mall. And right before I went to the airport, I had to go buy some shoes and then, you know, shove that in my suitcase and get, go on to the, um, to the flight. So, yeah, delivery fees don't always live up to what they're supposed to. Um, but to continue, um, I did want to speak about affiliate, affiliated links because I know that's something that's very important in the industry that, you know, many, I think many of my listeners don't understand the importance of an affiliate link. Um, Randy, I know this is, you know, you know, your area of expertise. Can you explain why, you know, a brand needs to have an affiliate link? Yeah. And I just want to clarify, it's definitely not my area of expertise because there is so much information and it's so confusing to me and every single person I know. But I will share with you the sliver of knowledge that I have, and this could all change tomorrow because everything changes. But in general, in the past, the way a magazine would make money is they would sell an advertising page. And in general, one full ad page would pay for one page of copy, like, you know, something that content. And we all know the problem that media and magazines and newspapers are having with like lower, you know, less people reading them and less ads. So a way for a magazine, let's use magazine for example, to make 
have a new revenue stream is affiliate links. So how that works is, let's say you are on, I don't know, GQ.com, Ryan, and you're going away this weekend and you need a new pair of shorts. And you go to the website and you find like there's a story about shorts and you're like, oh, I want these shorts by X, Y, and Z designer. And you click on that link and it takes you to, let's say, Saks Fifth Avenue. Saks Fifth Avenue has a relationship, no doubt, with all the content asked. And they get, um, they process the sale and then somehow, and I don't understand how like techie stuff, GQ gets a percentage of that sale. Yeah. So as a PR person now, it is like crucial for all the brands I work with to have affiliate links. So if you are a brand that's D to C direct to consumer, you're not going to have a retail outlet where you can say, well, it's, you know, use Nordstrom's or Saks or Bloomingdale's. So you can sign up with an affiliate company and there's like tons of them and they set you up for an affiliate program. There's, I, I can't even think like skim links, for example. Yep. Like, no, yeah. CJ affiliates. There's a bunch of them. So let's say, you know, you sign up for skim links, like you pay them to set it up and then they handle all the back end work and you know, it's, you're now in an affiliate program and why it's crucial is because magazines and newspapers and whatnot have lost so much traditional advertising. This is a really important revenue stream. So if I'm, you know, trying to do PR for, let's say, a dress brand, even if I found, this has been my experience, every now and then, maybe they'll put some like independent brand in that doesn't have an affiliate program, but it really is becoming less and less because it's a lost opportunity for the magazine to make money. Yeah. So it's kind of like the old, you got to be in it to win it. You're really limiting your opportunities for exposure. It's hard when you're a small company anyway, but it's really making it more difficult if you don't have an affiliate program. Well, and as you, and now as these publications are finding less and less revenue dollars, you know, that it's probably encouraged that their writers write about brands that have an affiliated link as opposed to brands that have none in existence. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is, you know, that's why a lot of editors would really, for a while, I don't know if this changed back, um, would favor Amazon because Amazon would in the past give the publishing like a bigger percentage of the sales. Um, I do want to talk about, you know, you know some, some positive memories that you both have in the industry. Um, do you guys have any you know, so press many. tour shoots? There's so many. There's so many. I guess I'll say, I, I, I mean, I have been to some amazing fashion shows, and I'm sure Randy, too, um, and shoots. I could mention, I was at the, Alex, I, I was going to London when Alexander McQueen first, um, late 90s, when he well, soon began. I mean, not the first show, but uh, there was like his Fire and Ice show when um, I think Tim Blanks still was 
talking about it um, even recently. But um, um, there was that show, you just jaw-dropping shows. Uh, I, and the same time would see Hussein Shalayan uh, present his, his, his take on things where he's such a creative kind of crazy designer. Um, I remember going to a Dries Van Moten fashion show where we all sat at a table a long, new, enormous table, and each, behind us was each of us had a server, and they would they served us all dinner, and then the fashion show proceeded um, on the table. Well, there, there's this one show you did recently to Mimi with um, Tina Guo, if I'm oh, mispronouncing right. her name. And yeah. I thought that was a beautiful thing because one of them was in Hawaii, right? That you did, yeah, or we, we had the, there was a collaboration with Tina Guo, who is a, uh, she's an Emmy nominated cellist. And it sounded, you know, I, you think ho-hum, oh, cellist, but she's, she, um, it's kind of, she does this kind of rock cello and uh, she is so fierce. You know, you should look her up because she's not what you think of. She's, she's classically trained, but um, anyway, she's, she's very stylish and she was a real joy to, to dress um, in collaboration with Ritz Carlton, she was. We went to four different destinations, and she created music based on uh, the destinations. One was Hawaii, one was um, Tucson. But you know, it was my. You know, what a thrill to dress her. You know, as per each location, so they could capture it on film and then run it on their website. It was such a great. Um, it was a four four destination shoot. Yeah, she's she's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was beautiful when I saw, you know, the images of it. And, the, you know, I saw her playing as well. So yeah. um, it was great to see. Um, to speak about press, um, you know, just a broad um, viewpoint. Um, Randy, what are some misconceptions that you often hear from brands about press? As a client, brands think that it just happens immediately. And that it's so they have a great idea, you're on board, they sign you up, and why don't they have a placement next week? And I don't think they realize that, you know, magazines have a schedule and they plan ahead. So it takes time. And if it's a new brand, um, they constantly forget. Well, actually, they probably don't know this. A lot of media and I understand this because I used to be an editor, they just want to make sure that you're still around in six months. You know, yeah. there's three brands that flame out so quickly. And if they're working on a long lead story and you're not there when they, you know, do the credit check, they're in a lot of trouble. And the short lead stories live on the site forever. So, you know, they want to make sure that you're going to be around. And, you know, just like any other especially if the person owns the business, like any other entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur because you believe in your brand and you work 24 seven. And I don't think they realize that not everyone shares the enthusiasm for their brand as they do. And I, I don't mean me, I mean like the editors, like, you know, every now and then they'll get behind something that is really special, but it takes a while. And I think that they think, I think a lot of brands, listen, all of PR is relationships. I'm convinced of that, um, or at least a big part of it is. But editors still have a job to do, and they have to do it well. Yeah. 
and they have to, your product has to fit their story and you're up against a lot of them. So, you know, it's just not so, it, it, it takes time. It takes time. From an editor's point of view, I have to say, like, this is what happens, and, and Randy knows this too. She, she intimated this. But I have to go into a meeting, and I have to say, I want to do a story on blah, 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 and I want to include this. But why do you want it? You have to kind of back it up with the why you mm-hmm. believe in this brand. And if you then, six months later, say, oh, they went out of business, it makes you look bad. Yeah. I mean, every product you recommend on your page has to, there is a reason why you're recommending it. And you have to back it up. It's, it's your reputation. And, and you, ha- you get called on the carpet if it's, if it's a crappy brand. And it takes time. It takes a campaign to, it, I always said, it takes a campaign to get your idea into this, the magazine. It, it just takes time. It takes, and then certainly when, after it's shot, and you, if you found out this brand is no longer there, that's... It's, oh, that's even worse. Yeah, that's... Your reputation. I mean, it's... I don't know how it is now. Now, I think, listen, I think everybody should worry about their reputation instead of just, you know, even if it's some digital story that's, I, I think you should put there, you should put items on your page that you believe in, that you can back up that are authentic. You authentically like them, not because otherwise the customer, the readers, they can smell, they can tell and they smell it when it's inauthentic. Yeah. You know, like you said, it, it's your reputation at the end of the day. And, you know, I think what brands need to understand is, you know, you're, someone who's doing press is doing their job by putting the brand in front of these individuals. Mm-hmm. So then they can say, okay, when we have a story in the future, we'll consider this. And then for the editor's perspective, if they could see a story behind why they know it's going to be around for a long time, then they can have confidence and promote it within their staff. It, it's, it's the same as you know, doing business in some ways with department stores. I mean, department stores, it's rare they take a brand that's fresh out that they've never heard of because they're going to be afraid of if it not being delivered on time or they're going to be afraid that the company is not going to be able to, you know, do their own end of the, the bargain. Um, that's a great analogy, like department stores. Yeah. So um, to continue on, you know, the Quebec government you know, is, is a great sponsor for this podcast. And, you know, I would love to hear, you know, your guys' experience with Montreal or with anything tied to Quebec fashion, if you guys have any two cents on that. Yeah, I do. It's like, I remember like the first time I saw Macage, like their publicist, I was an editor back then. And all I needed to know was that it was a warm winter jacket from the country of Canada. So I'm like... <laughs> That's it. That's all I need to know. Let's get this in the story because they know what cold weather is. <laughs> and I think they do a great job at that. Yeah. You know, I, as you know, I had a Canadian client from Montreal and they were like just the nicest people, which I don't know if that has, is an answer to your question, but yeah. I'm really, really nice to work with. It's nice to not have that New York edge, you know? I have a macage coat. They're so great. I yeah, mean, I'm sure, right? I've had it for so many years, and it's still a really warm coat. Love it. I, I um, had the pleasure of meeting Marie St. Pierre recently, who is a designer 
from the Montreal area. And I was really surprised, you know, think, I think I know so much about fashion, but I didn't know about her. And she's been in business for 30 years. And um, I did a quick interview with her. She had a, um, what do you call it, a pop-up shop in Tribeca in Manhattan um, this summer. And so I popped in to see her. And, she, you know, I was really impressed with how kind of devoted she is to fashion and not just, you know, to the craft of fashion, to creativity. I was just really impressed with her you know, her, her spirit of kind of sticking to her creative spirit and not selling out, basically. She no, I, I, she stays true to herself. Yeah. On that, um, I'm really happy that, you know, both you ladies could join me for this. Um, I, I appreciate it. Thank you both again for your time. Thank you, Ryan. This was so fun. Thank yeah. you. Merci d'avoir écouté Ryan's Rants and Raves. Suivez-nous sur Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. Thank you for listening to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Follow us on Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. A très bientôt.